God, we thank you for your word. Oftentimes, the word of God challenges us. It says things and speaks things into our life that are different, countercultural, challenging. So, Lord, would you give us humble spirits to be able to receive whatever it is you have for us today? As we press a little bit further into your presence, as we open your word, may you speak to each one of us in the way that we need. May we hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm excited to continue our series called Signposts. And if you're wondering what that is, uh, we are, we've been walking through the book of First and Second Peter. Uh, and uh, if you've missed any of that, you can go back online. You can find it online. You can find it on our app by simply downloading Elevation Church STL. i got to move this so I can see you guys over here, see your beautiful faces. I just didn't want my eye obstructed over here. So some of you are nervous now. They <laughs> like the whole group's looking at you. Uh, but before we get to that, um, just a couple of things um, I wanted to say. Uh, first is that the beginning of August, um, I just felt compelled by the Lord to, to really dig in a little deeper as a church. Uh, and so on the first Saturday in August, we are going to be uh, having what we call 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, and so that's going to be happening in August. And I just want you to mark your calendar. If you're like, oh, I don't know what that is. I heard the word fasting. I'm out. I uh, heard the word prayer. I'm out. I, I don't know which it was for you. Uh, or maybe you were just like so stoked about it. You know, I don't know. But I do want to just say this. One of the things I've learned, and I need you to hear me. One of the things I've learned is that if we will create space for God, you've heard me say this, he'll fill it. And so as a church, I want to be able to create some space in August as we look to the fall to allow God to fill that space in our lives that desperately needs it. Here's one of the things I see that's happened, uh, if you'll give me this moment. Something I see happening in our culture as a result of the last two years we've been in uh, is I sense that there's an increasing kind of lack of discipline that's happened in the Christian environment. Now, you may disagree with me because you're like, well, I'm so disciplined, Pastor. What are you talking about? But one of the things I've saw that, that seems to be kind of rampant is that, that we aren't, how do I say this without you guys getting upset with me? <laughs> that, that because it's become easy to say I'm not going to be there. You know what I'm talking about? Like it used to be you'd have to pay the doctor for not showing up. And now you don't because they knew you weren't going to come anyway because it was easy not to come because of the COVID. So what I'm getting at, it, 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 hear me now. I'm not talking to any one individual in here, so just relax. What I'm saying is as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to get back in the habit of discipline in our lives and making sure that when we say we do something, we're going to do it because we are people of character we are people that are called to usher in the very kingdom of God. Come on. And so I know that you're with me on this, but you may be stinging a little bit, and that's okay. 
But I just want you to know, I feel like August is a, is a moment for us as a church to be able to say, you know what? I'm back in. I'm fully invested. I'm going to do what God has called me to do because the kingdom of God is way more important than my own comfort. Amen, pastor. That's so good. Thank you. Thank you. You're all like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, thank you for the golf claps. Appreciate it. Some of you are like, I hate this church. I'm leaving. I get it. I get it. That's fine, you know. But, but my job as a pastor is not to tickle your ears. My job is to help you be better. And I want you to know I love you, and I want to know you, and I want to help you, but I also want to challenge you. And if you're not being challenged, then you are not in an environment that is helping you grow. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we'll continue here in our signpost series. Uh, mark your calendars there for, for uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we'll get to work there as well. Now, if you, like I said, if you've missed any of these installments, you can go back and read them. Um, but you probably can tell from the scripture reading this morning uh, that I have some interesting topics to speak about. It could have been right as the moment that Christy opened her mouth and said what she said. Some of you in the room were like, oh, no, not this again, not this again. You know, I get it. I get it. But here's the thing that I know about Scripture is that if we will do our due diligence to understand what God is saying, I promise you, even if it feels, come on, even if it feels bad, even if it feels like so against what you think or believe, I can guarantee you on the other side of it, there's freedom. I'm telling you. Now, you may see it as bondage. You may see it as putting chains back on you. But I'm telling you, on the other side of it, there's freedom. Because any bondage is incongruent with the gospel. Do you understand? Any bondage is incongruent. That's why Jesus came, to set us what? Free. So it's not about bondage. It's about freedom. Sometimes, though, when we read things or when we look at things from our cultural perspectives, we dismiss the Scripture as just old stuff that we don't need to pay attention to anymore, and we have to cut a new path, a new highway, because we know better. Whoa. That's a dangerous place to be. Because last time I checked, the Bible's been doing pretty good without your help, without your opinion. And so this is important that we get this. And so I'm excited to, to actually talk about this, even though some of you are a little nervous about what I'm going to say. Uh, I do believe that God has something for us. But I want to start here with just what this series is about. See, this series is all about this idea that we have experienced, and I don't know if that's your story, my hope is, is that if you haven't, you've experienced the grace of God in your life. Now, if you're here today and you haven't experienced the grace of God in your life to the point that you've entered into a relationship with Jesus, I'm glad you're here. I want you to open yourself up to that possibility because Jesus loves you and he desires a relationship with you. But for all of you in the room that would say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, man, I've got all kinds of wonderful things to say to you today. For all of you that have experienced the grace of God, yes, if you've experienced the grace of God, man, the scripture, Peter has a ton to say to you today. And so and let me read this to you in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. This is the series verse 
Uh, and so this has kind of been the, the backdrop of everything that we've been talking about. But let me read it to you. Peter writes this. He says, I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. Now, he says this very clearly. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in that grace. So what he's saying is like, if, if here's the deal. I'm assuming that I'm writing to the church and I'm trying to encourage you and I'm trying to assure you that what you're going through right now, come on, what you're going through right now is God's grace for you. Now, over the last two years, have you felt like what you've been going through is God's grace? Because <laughs> normally we do not associate suffering with the grace of God, do we? Suffering, there actually is activity, divine activity, that's there building us, testing us, making us stronger, even in the challenges. Because isn't it true when you sit in your lazy You with me? See, we get, we get fat. Sometimes we get physically fat. Sometimes we get spiritually fat. And we just eat and eat and eat, and we never give. We never throw it out there. We never help. We never serve. You know, there's just things that happen when we get kind of focused on ourselves. And what Peter is trying to say is that the challenges you're facing are great opportunities. That the last two years are a great opportunity for the church. Gut check time for the church. It's time for us to look at things differently. Maybe we got a little comfortable over here. Maybe we stopped doing our disciplines over here. Maybe whatever it is, what's happened, I don't know about you, but during those two years, the last two years, there have been moments, man, where I've just been flat out lazy. Any other, am I the only one? Come on, you Netflix people. I know you, you watch like 26 shows in a row. And so my point is, is we just get lazy and comfortable. And what happens, what you may think it's not a big deal, but friends, it's a big deal. Why? Because you are God's plan A. You are God's plan A for the kingdom of God to be ushered in, in this town, in this nation and in this city. And when we're not doing it, we got problems, don't we? It stops when the people of God say, no, I'm good. I'm on a vacation for the rest of my life. It stops. And so what Peter is trying to get us to see is, look, if you've experienced the grace of God today, if you've experienced the unending, amazing grace of God, I want to encourage you and assure you that the challenges you're facing today, come on, that the challenges that you're facing are for your good, even though they're really hard. And he's saying, come on, guys, let's get in there because we've got work to do. That's what he's trying to get us. And this is what the big idea of the whole series is, is that in the midst of experiencing God's grace, that in the midst of all of that, we are either pointing people towards God or we are pointing people away from God with the way that we act and behave. Do you understand? So, so, so how we behave matters. I've learned that feelings and attitudes determine ultimately our behaviors isn't that true how you feel about something leads to a certain attitude like you know what i'm talking about if you feel a certain way about something or a certain person <laughs> i don't like her 
I don't like him leads to when they come into the room, right? Kind of an attitude. I don't want to go to that party, shoot. (laughs) Then it leads to a behavior, doesn't it? And so my point is, is that we've got these feelings, we've got these attitudes that are leading to certain behaviors that are not God-honoring. They're not pointing people to Jesus. They're pointing people away from Jesus. Do you understand? And so we have to understand that Peter is trying to get us to see that how we live our lives, how we behave matters. And that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And today I want to dig into a subject matter that I would say is really hard and complex and difficult for people to understand because we import so much junk into it. Now, in biblical study, they have this fancy word called exegesis. You ever heard of that? That doesn't mean ex-Jesus out or something like that. It simply means that you're allowing the text to speak to you. Makes sense that you're extrapolating, you're, you're, you're drawing from the Bible, the, the text that you're reading. You're allowing it to read you, so to speak. There's this other term called eisegesis. Now, what does that mean? That means that you're importing all kinds of things into the scripture as you try to interpret it. Does that make sense? So you could be importing your pain. You could be importing your culture. You could be importing whatever, your mama, your daddy, whatever you were taught, whatever it is. You could be importing it into the scripture. And so that becomes the lens at which you're reading it. And then you potentially come to a poor conclusion or interpretation of what the Bible is actually saying. So so what I want to do is allow the Bible to speak to us. That we lay down our guard. We say, you know what? I'm wide open, Lord. Whatever it is you want to say, I'm in. And here's the thing that you've got to see. That in our culture, what was read earlier is very countercultural. Very countercultural. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm titling this message a dirty little word. Because that dirty little word is what? Submission. Submit. We don't like that word. I don't like that word. You don't like that word. Because there's something about that word that we have to not do what we want to do. Because I don't know if you know this, but when you were born into this world, you were born rebellious. You were born rebellious. No one even has to teach you that. If you're a parent, you've seen a kid. You've recognized selfishness in them that it has nothing to do with what you taught them. It was born into them. And so from birth, we have been in rebellion to God. And without Jesus, we're in trouble. That's why the word submission bothers us. Make sense? All right. Just want to make sure you're with me. And so here's what I want to say for the remainder of our time is that the way we submit to each other, the way that we submit either points people to God or it points people away from God. And God has called us to live a life of submission. One to another, in various environments. Last week I talked about to government authorities. (gasps) To human authorities, even if those human authorities aren't fair. Like, it's just a mess, right? You're like, that's not fair. I don't like it. I'm not into it. And the Bible is saying, look, I don't care how you necessarily feel about what I'm saying. I need you to grab hold of it and understand the principle, the spiritual principles behind it, because God has a pathway that if you'll get rid of all that stuff, you'll begin to see that it's better than the pathway that you're on. And so we can either 
live a life of submission that points people to God or away from God. And so here's what I want to talk about the remainder of our time. Peter continues with this theme of submission and shows that Christians must be subject to three areas of submission in their life. Three areas. Um, I'm probably not going to be able to talk about all three, all right? You just know me. You know me well enough that sometimes I throw out three and I only get to two. Sometimes I only get to one. That's That's just what it is. So just for all you type A people in the room, I promise I'll come back around on some of this. You'll get it. You'll, it'll be awesome. You're going to be great. Okay? I promise. So there's probably uh, the second part of this message I'll probably import into next week. So you'll get a lot of that from next week. So just, just relax. So, but I'm going to start here with the first one. The first one. And so here, here are the three areas of life that I think Peter encourages us to live this life of submission. And here's the first one. The first area is in the home. Is in the home. See, Peter paints a picture of the home that is very unpopular today. It just is. Because what does he say? He tells us that submission is good in the home. He says it's a good thing. He says it's something we should do. He says that that it's through this that all kinds of amazing things happen between believer and believer and between believer and unbeliever. That there's some amazing things that can happen if you live in such a way that's different than what the world tells you. Come on. So my point is, is that whatever it is that, 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 that you think about this, please open yourself up to this possibility that God wants levels of submission in our homes. Now, here's the problem. Come on. Let's just be honest. Here's the problem. When we hear the word submission, we think of what? Oppression. Right? Some kind of form of oppression. To use the vernacular of today, I mean, this is kind of the words that are being rattled around all over culture. One of them is toxic masculinity. Right? Toxic masculinity. The thing that I think is interesting, though, when you hear that phrase, and I'm not saying that toxic masculinity doesn't exist. It does. There are machismos out there. Okay? I'm not naive to that. But the thing that never gets discussed, and it's because we how we frame oppression, but what never gets discussed is what about toxic femininity? I mean, what about that? Some of the women are like, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> but seriously, have you ever met somebody that had some maybe toxic femininity? Of course you have. And so my point is, is that we can all go to the right or to the left or to the extremes of something. And the thing that we have to understand is that these things, get this, toxic masculinity, toxic femininity, oppression, all of that, is based in a self-focus. Is what you get or what you demand or what you know isn't happening in your life and if you don't do something about it, some, I have to do something about it because nobody will. And I've got to take it or it's never going to come to my life. Can I just say to you or to anybody that has that perspective, friend, that is not a biblical perspective. It is so far off the biblical radar, you're not even close, not even close to what Jesus is about. Because the thing about Jesus is he says, yes, be all that you can be as a man. 
Yes, be all that you can be as a woman. However, don't ever forget that our job is to live sacrificial lives towards all people. And it doesn't mean then that I demand what I want or how I want it or when I want it, just this way or whatever it is. And when we do, we get toxicity all over the place because our masculinity and our femininity gets infected by the world and it never reflects the character and nature of God. And you're like, well, I don't see it. Jesus, friends, what did he do? Jesus came into this world. He came as a baby, grew into a man, right? Remember this? At 33, he died on a cross. That's pretty sacrificial, isn't it? He died on a cross. And in between there, he showed us a better way. He said, you know what? Don't be first. You be last. You think upside down, you know? It's not upwardly mobile. It's downwardly mobile. It's different than the way that the world sees it. You, right? You know, when they started arguing about who's going to have the right and the left and who's going to get this. And, and Jesus is like, I can't. I've been so mad at these disciples. I'd have been like, what are you guys talking about? It's not about you. And, and, and they're just like, well, am I going to be at the right hand and, and all this stuff? And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? You've completely missed the point. And then he gives this crazy model. Come on, you remember this? Where he gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of the disciples. Oh my goodness. See the different picture? That's what Jesus is about. Jesus is different than the world that we see. He's not all that interested in success, power, and demand, or any of that. He wasn't, and he never was. And so he lays down his life. Three days later, he beats death. And as a result, we all can have a relationship with God and be empowered for the selfless servant life that he's called us to. And let me ask you this question. If you approached every relationship, if you approached every relationship you have, including, if you're married, your married relationship or even a dating relationship from the perspective of, I'm here to serve. How would that change things? Like right now, some of you are at odds. I know. Couples get at odds, don't they? They get a little off-center, a little high-center. You know what I've found that almost always? It's because somebody is way too focused on themselves. It's just true. They want what they want, and if they don't get it, then that other person is their, quote, enemy, even though they never say that. And so it leads to all kind of dysfunction and brokenness and pain. But imagine if you, just for a moment, said, you know what? It's not about me. Honey, what do you need? Right? What do you need? How can I serve you? See how that changes things? It's, it's a big deal. I know. It's really quiet in here. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's what I'm saying or, or, you know. But this is what Peter says. Listen to this, guys. Stick with me. He says, in the same way, and what he means by that, in the same way, I've been talking about all these other ways that you submit. You talked about governments and human authorities, and you go back and watch that. But he says, in the same way, you wives accept the authority of your husbands, which is New Living Translation's version of submit. Then, even if you refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without words. You ever heard that? You ever heard that phrase, actions speak louder than 
It's in the Bible. You didn't even know. And then watch this. He says, they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, I want to read this in a different translation. So that's New Living Translation. But just for a second, I want to read this out of the amplified version of the Bible. It won't be on your screen, but, but I just need you to listen. If you're wondering what the amplified version is, is it basically kind of takes what's there and, and, and shares, because every Greek word, because that's where the Bible comes from, from a Greek language, every Greek word has kind of unique senses. Like, in other words, it doesn't always mean just one thing. There's layers to it, right? So like you've heard about like love in the Bible has multiple meanings. It can mean this and it can mean brotherly love and godly love. And so, right. So, so what the Amplified does is it tries to extrapolate or, or, or share some of the senses of the word so that you can better understand. Does that make sense? So I want to read this to you out of the Amplified version. Listen to this. See if it affects you in any way. See if it changes the way you see it. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibility entrusted to your husband and their accountability to God, and so partnering with them, so that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won over to Christ without discussion, but by godly lives of their wives when they see your modest and respectful behavior, listen to this, together with your devotion and appreciation, love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. That's pretty good. Isn't it? I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Like, I think every woman wants to love her husband, right? I mean, I would think that every woman wants to encourage her husband, wants to lift him up and respect him. And, and then, here's, no, I won't say that yet. So he goes on, and he says this. Because this is the thing that's interesting about this passage. It says, an unbelieving husband will draw to God through the behavior of his believing wife. Like, he'll be drawn to God through the behavior. So you see the context here? This is a home that's divided spiritually. So Peter is actually speaking to a situation where there is a believing woman, a believing wife, and an unbelieving husband. And he's speaking directly to that matter and saying, if you will live in such a way, if you'll do this, if you'll honor the code, so to speak, if you'll do those things, what the Bible says is that somehow through all of that, this person will be drawn more to God and potentially, potentially say yes to God. Now, that's pretty amazing to think about. It's not easy to do, but the Bible very clearly says that it's possible. So what you have here is this dilemma. And all of us have seen it. We've, we, we may be in it right now. Is that there are some homes where you have married people, where you have a believer and an unbeliever. Now, I don't know where you are today. That may be your story. Then there are other homes, right, where you have believers with other believers. And then the nuance of what that means gets really complicated, right? Oh, yeah, he believes in God. Oh, yeah, she believes in God. We don't know what that means. You know, it's just that maybe, how about this? They're at least God-fearers. 
But friends, let me just say this to you. There were God-fearers in Israel before Jesus, and they were not saved. God-fearers don't mean that you are saved. See, the Bible is very clear that the only way that we can be saved is to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. So if he's Savior, that means he's doing all the work to get you back to God. And then if he's Lord, you now are doing the work that he tells you to do. That's what it means. That's what it means. So, 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 so the dilemma is there. You know, you'll have a wife sometimes or a husband. One's a believer, one's not, or you have both. And this is what I want to say to the woman or the man in the room today. If you're in a situation where you have a non-believing spouse, here's a few things I suggest to you. In addition to what Peter is saying, here, here's what I have for you today. Number one, spend a lot of time praying for that individual. Like, put them at the top of your list and pray specifically that God would open up their eyes, their ears, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that their life might be changed. Now, here's the second. Have a conversation. Now, this is, gets tricky. All right, come on now. Because what happens is when we go to have a conversation sometimes, we import our emotion to it. And so what happens is we go to that conversation and if you loved me, right? Or you always, you never. You see what I'm getting at? We, we give that and we get something in return that we don't want. Isn't that true? It's just true. And if it goes on long enough, it gets really rocky because you're like, I'm so frustrated with you. I don't like you anymore. You said you love God. Or like maybe at one time they said they love God and now they don't love God. And you get into the situation where you're just like, this is, I'm getting ripped off. Like when we got married, you loved God and now you don't love God. And now see, see, am I, am I doing any verbatim for anybody in the room today? And what happens is we spend way too much time talking way too much time talking and way less time praying and asking God for opportunity, asking God for softness in our marriage, in our home. And then here's the other thing I want to say is when you go to have a conversation, have a conversation in such a way that you know what kind of result you want. Does that make sense? Like, do you want your husband or your wife to respond to you like, you shut your mouth? <laughs> or... Do you want them to hear what you're saying and understand where you're coming from? Because I'm assuming if they said yes to you, they love you. And so if they love you, unless there's some real issues, they're going to be somewhat open to hearing you if you say, sweetie, can I talk to you? Can I, can I share with you something going on in my heart? And I, I just need to tell you how, it, how I'm doing. Okay? Do you see what I'm getting at? There's a... If you would try just a little bit of humility in how you approach those conversations, I guarantee you, you'll go farther. Now, I'm not saying you'll get the result you want. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, what if you started with a conversation that communicated to your spouse, can I share with you why this is so important to me? Can I, can I just share my heart with you? Why this matters to me? And... and and just see 
Because then you ask the next question of, can I ask you a question? What's going on? Are you, did something happen? Are you, are you frustrated with me? Are you frustrated with the church? I mean, what is it? Like, what's, what, what's happening in you? When, when I say the word church, what's, what happens? You see what I'm getting at? Isn't that a, an amazing way to approach it? So if we would just pray, we would, we would just have a different conversation maybe. Put away your emotions for a moment and just try to get to the place where you could have a dialogue. And then finally, what Peter says, practice Peter. Practice what Peter says here in chapter 3. Is You know what? If you don't get the result that you want, then you behave in such a way that that individual wants what you want. Because I can guarantee you, in life, life is too hard that at some point somebody will come to the end of themselves. Guaranteed. And when they do come to the end of themselves, maybe just maybe they'll be open to hearing what you have to say. Now, I absolutely am saying this, and let me be clear. If you married the person, you married them. That does not give you permission because you became a believer to get out of the relationship. I also want to say this. This is getting really good, isn't it? <laughs> if you're in a relationship with someone who is abusing you physically, hitting you, hurting you, any of that, submission is not the word that you need to hang on to. Because there are women and men that stay in abusive relationships simply because they've heard someone in the church say, you need to submit to that individual. And that is not what I'm saying. And you need to hear me. If you are being hit, abused, or hurt by someone that you are married to, you need to get out of that relationship and get safe first. I don't know what God will do with the relationship. I'm not saying walk down to the divorce court I'm saying get out and get safe. Tell somebody so that you can get safe. Then we can deal with what comes next. But God's heart for you is not to, quote, submit to abuse in a married relationship. So just let me be clear about that. You guys okay? All right. See why I'm not going to get to point three? This is, this is why. And now I know some of you are like, please, pastor, keep going. And some of you are like, no, let's just, can we leave now? But here, can I, can I get really up in your business for just a moment? For the believing husband, I need to share something with you. Man up. I mean that. Your job is to lead your home. Your job is to Lead in such a way that your wife desires to follow you. And this culture has beat you down at such a level that we have created what I will call passive men that do not uphold their responsibilities as men. And as your pastor, I want to say to you, man up and get back in the game. Start doing the things that God has told you to do. Lead your family in the way that God has told you to do it. You know better. Don't tell me you don't know. You've heard it. Matter of fact, some of you have used the language, woman, submit to me. You will never have a problem, as far as I'm concerned, with a woman giving you the respect you desire if you will lead the way Jesus has taught you to lead. 
Women are created for that purpose. It is not oppressive. It is not hurtful. It is not rude or any of the rest of it. God's plan is way better than the world's. And I just ask you a question, if you don't believe me for a second. Look at the world around us. How is it going? Thank you. How is it going? I mean, we can't even figure out what a man or a woman is today. I mean, I'm serious, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just simply saying we have lost our way. We are living in a season of confusion. We are redefining things that God never intended for us to redefine. And guess what it's created? Confusion. Guess what it's created? Chaos. Conflict. Which is all that we've been creating since we came out of the womb. And without Jesus, this will not change. There is a better way, and it doesn't have to be a 1950s way where you live in separate beds. Some of you are like, what's that? Leave it to Beaver, people. Come on. Don't you remember? They slept in separate beds. It was weird. Okay. So men, do what God has called you to do. And here's what I, here's what I ask. If you don't know what to do, ask somebody for help. I know men in this church that can teach you how to be the man that God wants you to be. And when you start doing that, friend, you will not have a problem getting your woman to love you in the way that you want to be loved. You won't. Unless she's got issues. And if she does have issues, she needs to get her issues right. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's hurt. I don't know. But I can tell you, when it's clean, on both sides, purity on both sides, it works. And so, friends, that's what we need. That's the vision of the family and the future that we can have. But we have to begin to press into it and do the things that God has called us to do. Men, you need to man up and start making steps and not excuses to be the person that God has called you to be. Whew, come on, pastor, that's good. All right. Now, I want to say this, though, in 1 Peter 3, 7. Did you notice this? In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Look at this. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Friends, that's a scary warning, isn't it? Did you hear what he said? There is no room for toxic masculinity in that. There's no room for toxic femininity in what I just talked about. But very clearly, the Bible says that we should honor our wives. What does that mean, to honor somebody? It means to put somebody a little higher than yourself. That's what it means. And you know the example we have? Read Philippians chapter 2 to see the example we have of Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus honored the Father and humbled himself to the point of death in order to win us back to the Father. So the example that you have is a humility that God wants you to live out with one another because he is the example that he gave us. And so what it means to honor somebody is to put them a little higher than yourself. Friends, I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of hard to do because I like what I like. 
I want things to go the way I want them. Anybody else? No? Any of the rest of you selfish like me? And some of you are control freaks. It has to be your way, and if it doesn't, you get exasperated, and you get angry, and you... Blah! Not godly. Not godly. If you sow... Blah! You'll reap... Do you understand? It's a spiritual principle. If you sow peace, you will reap peace. If you sow love, you'll reap love. If you sow something good, you will receive something good. But if you sow evil, strife, uh, division, anything, harsh words, you'll reap those things. Do you understand? It's a spiritual principle. It doesn't matter whether you agree with it doesn't matter if you even agree with it at all. Whether you're even a believer or not. It still works because it's God's spiritual principle that he put in the world. And it will come around, as Johnny Cash used to say. Some of you older people in the room. And so then he says this. Treat your wife with understanding. You know what that means? Try. Try. Because I don't know. I don't always understand what's going on with my wife. Do you, dudes? No, you don't always understand. You don't always get it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. You seek to understand. You seek to say, hey, baby, what's going on? Tell me what's happening. I need, what do you need? What's going on, baby? Come on. Talk to me. You seek to understand. You seek. You keep trying. When you don't understand, you keep trying. If you don't know what to do, ask another dude. Say, hey, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Why? Because she's worth it. You said before God that she was worth it. And so she's worth it. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying to understand her. And then there's this whole thing about weakness, right? Like he says, she may be weaker than you are. And I know some of you women are like, what? I'm stronger than my man. Matter of fact, I know some women in the church that are small, stronger than their men, but I won't embarrass these men. The point that the Bible is trying to make is that in general, in terms of how people are designed physically, he's not saying that you're weaker like in God's eyes. He's not saying that at all. He's just simply saying that most of the time, if we were to have an arm wrestling match, I'm just, right? Most of the time. Now, there are women out there that could probably beat me in an arm wrestling match, but I wouldn't arm wrestle them in public. You think I'm stupid? I don't want to be embarrassed. I want to live in the idea that I could always beat every woman in an arm wrestling match. <laughs> but in general, that's what the Bible is trying to get to. It's, it's not to say that some worse or better. It's not that at all. It's just trying to, to, to describe something that most of us probably know intuitively. And see, that, isn't that interesting how our world takes that and twists it? contorts it and makes it into something that's bad and negative and that all those Christians, they're just old. They're ancient. They're, 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 everything they believe is archaic. It just needs to go out with everything else from the past and we need to usher in a new progressive world. How's that working? All right. What time is it? Yeah. All right, I got to stop. 
I'll end with this, guys. And I mean this. I'll end. In order to submit one to another, we have to submit to Christ. I can't submit to, to authority. I can't submit to people I should submit to. I can't live that way without Christ's help because everything in me says no. And the only way I can not only learn to be submissive and empowered for the act of submission is to have a personal relationship with Jesus empowered by his Holy Spirit to help me do exactly what he's called me to do. And for all of you men and all of you women that are out there trying to do it on your own, you know what I'm talking about because trying to do it on your own doesn't work. God wants to introduce you to a better way. And in 1 Peter 3.22, we hear this. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated at the place of honor next to all the angels and authorities and powers except his authority. Do you know what that means, friends? That means that Jesus Christ did exactly what he said he did. He went to the cross. Three days later, he beat death. As he came out of that grave, he walked among us and then eventually ascended into heaven. And the Bible says he sits at the right hand of God, the Father on a throne that was made just for him. Why is that important? Because everything the Bible says is true and all the power and all the principles and all the things that you need and you want and you desire that will get you to Jesus, they're all right there because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and he will give you everything that you need. Come on, friends. So, as we end, this is the question I have for you right now in your life. Not back in church camp or a long time ago, but right now in your life, would you say that Jesus is Lord of your life? Because if he's not Lord of your life, then we have a problem, friends. We have a problem. If Jesus isn't telling you what to do, we've got a problem. See, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There's no halfway. There's no kind of in-between. Men and women today, I ask you this question, is Jesus Lord of your life? And if he's not or you've moved, I want to pray for you. And so let's pray together. God, I pray for anybody in this room today, Jesus. Anybody in this room today that would say that they want Jesus to be Lord of their life, that, that at some point in their life, they've walked away from it. They've allowed other people to be Lord of their life. They've allowed other things. They've allowed other voices, God. But right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're coming back. Right now, I'm praying on behalf of the church and anybody hearing my voice that we're coming back. And so just say to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I want you. I want you. I need you as my Lord. I submit myself to your Lordship. I repent and ask for your forgiveness. I will not be on the throne of my life anymore. I your lordship, your direction, and I'll be obedient to everything that you tell me to do. Now, just for a moment as we close, I know that in a room like this, there are probably some people that as I prayed that you desire Jesus to be your Lord, but there's an issue. And the issue is that perhaps you've never made him savior. 
And see, here's the thing. Savior comes first. See, in the Bible, Jesus came to save us, to cleanse us from our sins, to heal us from the brokenness and the separation from God. And so, so here's the thing that I want you to hear today. I don't know if you consider Jesus your Savior, but the Bible says very clearly that if you will simply, in faith, say to the Father, I want to accept your Son as Savior. That the Bible says that He'll come in, He'll save you, He'll begin to transform you from the inside out, making you more like Him in this world, and that someday you'll spend eternity with Him. What a glorious gift that he offers us. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you this opportunity to respond to the gospel. Nobody's looking around, but I do want you to make a statement of faith. And the way that we do that here is is just, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand up. And all this is 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 a recognition of what's going on inside you. And that's a desire to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so right now, on the count of three, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now so I can pray for you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Go ahead. Just raise your hand up. God bless you. Good. Anybody else? God bless you. Good, good, good. Awesome. Well, church, let's all pray together so no one's praying alone in here. Repeat these words if if this is your heart's desire. And church, let's just kind of come around that. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? I accept you as my Savior and Lord. Transform me from the inside out. Show me my purpose. I choose this day to follow you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that's given their life to the Lord today? We're so proud.